morning, who is all-powerful. I trust this morning, and as we look at your word, as we focus our attention on you this morning, that we will be reminded that there is no life worth living besides one that is fully submitted to you. Thank you for allowing us this opportunity to come apart from our lives, to be taught, to be encouraged, to be challenged and comforted. Whatever is needed, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do it here today in us and through us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. A couple of brief uh, family notes, as Tim likes to say occasionally, things that we need to talk about that there's really no other opportunity to talk about them, so we're going to just talk about them right now. First of all, if you have a Navy Toyota Camry with Barbara Bush plates on, your car is running out in the, uh, somewhere on the compound. Do you got it? Okay. Okay. Thank you, Christine. We got it. We're all set. Uh, see? Check. We got that one taken care of. That was easy. Uh, one other thing I wanted to, to mention to you, I know that a lot of you were here back in uh, August. Uh, it seems hard to believe that we have to say back in August already, but it's almost October. Back in August, we had a baptism. We had 17 or 18 people baptized, a couple hundred people there, had a big party. It was great. We enjoyed it. Glad you're able to be with us. But we actually have a handful of people, uh, more people who would like to be baptized. And we don't want to wait until, I don't know if you knew this or not, but pretty soon there's going to be ice in the pool. So we probably don't want to do it then. And we don't want to wait, and they don't want to wait, which I think is fantastic. So next Sunday, right after church, we are going to zip up to the farm and have a baptism, Now, which is good. That's awesome. Now, before you get too excited, we're not going to have a big barbecue. We're not going to have all the food. We're not, we're not doing that part of it. But we are riding up. We're going to have a baptism. There's a handful of folks that, that are going to do that, take that step of obedience. So if you would like to be there for that, we would love to have some of you there. I understand without the burgers and the hot dogs and the potato salad that probably most of you won't come. But if some of you would like to just come up for 15 or 20 minutes with us and celebrate with these folks as they're baptized, we would love to have you next Sunday right after the service. I also will say that if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized and you would like to be baptized, then please come right up here after the service. I'm going to be hanging around up here a bit anyway, and I'd love to talk to you about it and answer any questions you have. Okay, there we go. All taken care of. I wanted to draw your attention to something this morning. Recently, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that said this, asked this question, why work out when you can just buy the clothes that make it look like you did? Uh, I don't know if you have experienced this or observed it, but there is an increasing trend in our culture uh, to buy athletic clothing without actually participating in any sports or doing any exercise. I did a little research myself. You know how I love statistics. And I found out that in the U.S. alone, just in our 50 states, we spend $100 billion a year 
on athletic apparel. Would you like to have a slice of that pie? I found out just by way of example that in the last couple of years, the sales of yoga pants are up 45%. I don't have any yoga pants, but I'm just, you know, in ge the general populace. Sales of yoga pants are up 45%. Attendance at yoga classes up 3% in the same period. I'll let you draw your own conclusions. Outdoor retailers such as L.L. Bean and Cabela's have seen spikes in the sales of things like flannel shirts and hiking boots and all the things that you might need for camping and hiking and outdoor adventures. $120 running shoes are the norm for people who have never run a day in their lives. I have to admit that I am not immune to this situation. I have an under, well, I have lots of Under Armour t-shirts. I think some of you have noticed that. I have an Under Armour t-shirt that my wife particularly likes, enjoys when I wear. In big red letters, it says, training 24-7. <laughs> now, obviously you can tell that that is not the case. Here's the point. Sometimes we think that when we wear the stuff, we're part of the action. Sometimes we think we're accomplishing something. Well, you know, I'm not doing, but, you know, it's, it's putting me in the frame of mind where I'll be, you know, if a yoga class breaks out, I'll be ready. <laughs> or whatever. But I'm sure you know, if you've lived any life at all, that getting in shape does not happen by proximity or osmosis. It happens by actual participation in cardio. You've got to get off your butt and move to get in shape. And I think this can be true of us in our spiritual lives and our connection to church. We can come here and we can think, I like this. This is kind of fun to be in this tent with all these people. It's kind of, you know, it's exciting to be a part of this crazy church that meets all over the place and parking lots and fields and greenhouses and tents. The music is peppy and fun. It's, it's fun to be a part of the crowd and feel the energy. I got a Bible, and it makes me feel good to be here. Now listen, I'm glad you're here. I truly am. It's important for us to gather But I have to tell you something, you being here does not necessarily mean that you are actively participating in spiritual growth and development. Because it's more than just wearing the clothes. Now we've been making our way through Hebrews chapter 11, if you have been here lately, 
and we're talking about faith. We're learning about things that things such as that faith is revealed or our lack of faith is revealed by our choices. Much the same way we can we can come to church and we, we can talk about faith, we can talk about how much we love God, we can talk about what we're going to do or what we want to see happen in our lives, but it's our choices that really demonstrate whether or not we are living by faith. I don't know that we have expressly said this, that Tim or I have expressly said this in the last few weeks as we've looked at Hebrews 11, but as I scan back over what we've talked about and what we're going to see today, I realize that one of the marks of true faith is courage. It takes courage to live a life of faith, to follow God when it's difficult, when things are not going well, they're not going the way that we want them to. And understanding that there is so much about our lives that we cannot change. Have you ever had that little epiphany? There's so much about our lives that we can't change, so much that's impossible for us to accomplish in our own strengths. And life and our circumstances can be overwhelming. But faith knows that God is always at work around us. Faith believes and has the conviction that God is going to accomplish His will. That He is going to accomplish His purpose. And even more than that, my friends, and this is what I want us to focus on this morning, even more than that, God gives us an invitation By faith, we can join God in what He is doing. Not only is God at work, not only will He accomplish His purpose, not only will He do everything that He intends to do, He says, hey, do you want to be a part of it with me? I want you to be a part of this as I accomplish my will. See, living the Christian life is not, I have to do everything I possibly can to make God happy with me. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is this. God loves you, and if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have humbled yourself, admitted your sin, and asked for His forgiveness, and joined His family, then He gives you new life, and He says, I want you to trust me, and I want you to obey me, and I want you to be part of what I'm doing here. That's the Christian life. So let's dive into Hebrews 11 for a few minutes and see some of that happening, some examples of that very thing. As you know, we've been going down through history, the history of the world, the history of Israel, and we're seeing certain characters and what God has done. We'll see more of that right now. Verse 29 of Hebrews 11 says this, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So some of you may know the story, some of you may not. Let me give you like a 30-second snapshot here. So the Israelites at this point, they're probably about 100 and, or uh, sorry, 1.5 million of them in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would be like the sands of the seashore. 
So there's 1.5 million of them. They're in Egypt. They want to leave. They've been enslaved. The Pharaoh has enslaved them, and so they've asked to leave, and the Pharaoh has resisted that. And so God has sent these plagues on Egypt in order to convince the Pharaoh to let the people go. Finally, by the 10th plague, we talked about this last week, the, the Passover, the death of the firstborn of every family in Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh says, all right, that's it, go. I can't fight this anymore. I want you to leave. And so the Israelites pack up their stuff and they get ready to go. And they do go. They, they head out. Almost immediately, Pharaoh changes his mind. And so he speaks to the commander of his army. This is all in Exodus 13 and 14, if you want to read it sometime. Speaks to the commander of his army, and he says, I want you to go get those Israelites and turn them around and march them back here. I don't want them to leave. So the Egyptian army goes. Israel realizes they're being pursued, and so they go as as quickly as that large group of people can go. And they're going, and all of a sudden they realize that they're trapped. The Egyptian army is behind them. The Red Sea is in front of them. There's no way to go. The Israelites are normal people, just like you and I, and so they start complaining. And they say to Moses, what are you doing to us? What did you, just make us pack up and drag our stuff out of Egypt because there weren't enough cemeteries? You want to bury us all out here? That's literally what they said. You can read it. And Moses responds, and I want, you to, I want to read you his response. Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses says to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which, notice these phrases please, He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, You only have to be silent. I love these verses. Look at what Moses is saying here. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. He will fight for you. He will accomplish this for you today. You see, faith trusts God to do what only He can do. That's what real faith is. Fear not. Stand firm. Trust Him. It's easy for us to say the same thing as the Israelites, isn't it? Lest we get too hard on them. And we live our lives and we follow God and we're obedient and we trust Him and we think we're living a life of faith and we get to a certain point in our lives and we say, oh, What's going on, God? Did you bring us all this way just to kill us now? Did you bring me all this way just to let me down here, just to bury me in the sand on the side of the Red Sea? And what's the challenge? When we have our backs against the wall, when we feel like there's no way out, there's no good resolution to this. Have you ever been in that point in your life? There's no good way for this to end. Stand firm. And God will work for you. 
be silent. Some of us need to just be silent, don't we? Be silent and see what God is going to do. Well, I guess probably most of you know the end of that story, but for those of you who don't, God miraculously split the Red Sea in half. The Israelites walked across on dry ground. It wasn't muddy, marshy, mucky like it is when you go to the beach. It was dry. They marched all the way across it. The Egyptians said, oh, no, you don't. You're not getting away from us. And so they headed out across to them. And the Scripture says that as soon as the last Egyptian had stepped into that dry land where God had split the sea, he closed it on top of them, and every single one of the Egyptians drowned. And he saved them. Look at verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Well, if you read down through the Old Testament, you realize that the Israelites did not consistently trust God. They failed. They went across the Red Sea, they had their deliverance, and then they just fell away from God. And they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years outside the promised land. Finally, they were ready to trust God. They were ready to, to turn over a new leaf and say, yes, God, we believe that you can do it for us. But Jericho was in the way. Now, if you read what the Scripture says about Jericho, you have found that it was a pretty forbidding city. And if you think about the time period when this happened, you'll know that there were, there were no fighter jets, there were no uh, missiles to launch or anything like that. And so if a city wanted to protect itself, it built walls around its property to keep people out. And the city of Jericho had walls that were so thick, there was a two-lane highway on top of the walls. And I know I do like to exaggerate sometimes, but that is actually the truth. You can read that in the book of Joshua. There was a two-lane highway. Now, it was a chariot highway, not a car and truck highway, but still, you know, a good chariot's five, six feet wide. That's how thick it was. Really, Jericho was impregnable. There was no way that they were going to defeat it in their own strength. But God brought them to Jericho, and he said, look, if you trust me, I'll take care of Jericho for you. So the Israelites said, okay, we'll trust you, God. How do we do this? What's the plan of attack? God said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Get everybody ready, and on Monday, march around the city once and be absolutely silent. So the people are like, okay, this is a slow burn, but I get it. This is the first step. We'll keep going. Whatever you want us to do, God. He said, okay, step two, on Tuesday, march around the city one time and be absolutely silent. They're all looking at each other. They're wondering what's going on. 
Really, the plan is basically this. March around the city once, absolutely silently, every day for six days. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, absolutely silently, and then at the end of the seventh time around, on the seventh day, shout your lungs out and blast the trumpets and the walls are going to fall down. Okay. (laughs) Sounds like a solid plan, God, but we're going to trust you. We're going to do it. And they did it. And guess what happened on the seventh day after the seventh trip around when they shouted and blew the trumpets? Can anybody guess? The walls fell down. And I want you to understand something. The walls didn't just fall down. They fell down so completely. Imagine walls 30 feet thick. That's what the Scripture says. They were 30 feet thick. Imagine these walls falling down so completely that there was not one stone on top of another. Flat. They trusted. God acted. And the walls fell. Did the Israelites knock the walls down? Did their military might and strategery win the battle? No. They obeyed and God acted. They were a part of it. They were there by faith, but God did the work. Now, also, Rahab was there as well. That's a whole other story. She was, as the Scripture is very clear, a prostitute in Jericho. And the spies had come in prior to the battle to scope the land out, and there were soldiers looking for them, and they knocked on Rahab's door, and she let them in, and she let them hide. If you read the story, she let them hide on the roof of her house so that the soldiers didn't find them. And when she asked them what they were doing there, they explained what God was going to do, and the Scripture tells us that Rahab believed. And because of her faith, she too was saved. Sometimes, faith takes risks. It was risky for the Israelites to do this. And it was risky for Rahab to do this. But they made the decision to join God in what he was doing. Look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. He could go on and on. This chapter is almost 40 verses already, but he could write many more stories of people who had faith and saw God do amazing things. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah are all in the book of Judges, and we don't have time. He says he doesn't have time, and we don't have time either to tell all of their stories. But let me tell you a little bit about one of them, Gideon. Gideon was the youngest son in the least influential family of the smallest tribe of all Israel. Okay, He was not an important dude. Nobody expected anything out of Gideon. But God came to him and said, Gideon, you know that my people are being oppressed and enslaved by a country called Midian. And the Midianites had an army of 100,000 soldiers, and they were controlling the land of Egypt. God said, Gideon, I want you to gather an army and defeat Midian. Well, Through a series of circumstances that we don't have time to talk about today, Gideon finally decided that he was going to trust God. He was a little wishy-washy at first, but he came over to the side of faith. He said, I'll trust you, God. So God said, well, go get an army. So Gideon went out, 32,000 guys said, let's go. 
Let's do this. So 32,000 to 100,000, that just means every one of our guys has to take out three guys and we'll be good. That's somewhat doable. So he came back to God and said, God, I've got 32,000 guys that are with me. God said, that's great, Gideon. There's only one problem. What's the problem, God? Your army's too big. That's not the problem I thought you were going to address, but... (laughs) It's too big? All right, it's too big. So here's what we do, and I wonder if this would happen in any army around the world even today. God said, tell everybody that doesn't have to be here that they can go home. (laughs) 22,000 guys said, see ya. He's left with 10,000. Gideon comes back to God. God, what do you think? 10,000 guys were ready to go. God said, still too many, Gideon. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to run a little test, have them all go down by the lake, get a drink of water. Everybody that drinks this way will take. Everybody that drinks that way, we won't take. 10,000 guys go down, get a drink of water. 300 guys drink one way. 9,700 drink the other way. Gideon says, are you sure about which group you want? God said, yes, I'm sure. I want the 300. So now we're down to 300 against 100,000. How are we going to do this, God? Well, here's what we're going to do, God says. We're going to go up on the hills around the Midianite army camp. We're going to stand around there. I want you to have a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. And I want you to put the torch in the pitcher. Hang the trumpet on your belt because you only have two hands. When I say go, smash the pitcher, hold the torch up, blow the trumpet, and scream your guts out. And that's what they did. And guess what happened? An army of 300 routed an army of 100,000. Because Gideon was a phenomenal military leader and strategist? No, because he trusted God. Because he had faith. And God miraculously delivered Israel. Samuel stood up to immorality and idolatry. He was not afraid to speak the truth in a very evil time in Israel's history. David, as many of you probably already know, fought Goliath when he was just a teenager. And he led Israel through battle after battle until they became the most powerful nation in the world at the time. Now we should ask ourselves a question here, and it's this. Why did Israel keep having to be delivered and rescued from bondage and slavery and defeat? I mean, we started this morning by saying God brought them out of Israel and they won a tremendous victory. They did trust God. They did join Him. They did see Him work. And then they fell back. They fell back into laziness and apathy and distrust, and as a result, they found themselves right back where they started. Sound like anyone you know? Anyone you've seen lately? Like maybe in the mirror this morning? I bet most of you here have seen God do amazing things in your lives at one point or another. For those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, you have seen him deliver you from sin and give you salvation by his grace. Some of you have seen deliverance from addiction. 
deliverance from a life of pride and selfishness. Or you've seen him heal you physically. Or you've seen him put relationships back together. Or you've seen people in your life whom you thought, this dude is the last person who would ever want anything to do with God. And you have seen God change their lives and draw them to Christ and revolutionize their families. But then you fall back and you forget. That's what happened to Israel. Look at verse 33. Through faith, these guys, these people, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. The Old Testament is full of these amazing stories, full of the things that God did through these people who had faith. You may even recognize some of the things that are mentioned here. Stop the mouths of lions. I'm sure many of you have heard of Daniel, the prophet Daniel who was, who was thrown into a den of ravenous lions because he refused to stop praying and worshiping God. And what did God do? God saved Daniel. He delivered him. He, he closed the mouths of the lions. Quenched the power of fire. Have you ever heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Or if you have kids, have you ever watched Rack, Shack, and Benny? <laughs> Veggie Tales? Same story. A little different telling of it, but the same story. They too refused to bow the knee and worship when they were ordered to, when they were forced to at penalty of death. And, and Nebuchadnezzar threw them into a fiery furnace so that they would be burned. And yet they turned around and walked right back out and they didn't even smell like smoke. That's what the scripture says. But can we notice something I think is very important in this whole conversation? Maybe you saw it in verse 34. It says that these people were made strong out of weakness. Literally means to be filled with power or to be made able. And this is, uh, this is a passive statement. In other words, it doesn't say that they strengthened themselves. It says that they were made strong. They didn't possess this power. It was given to them by faith. By entrusting themselves to God, it says they became mighty. There was a change. There was growth. There was transformation by faith. Why does this matter? Why is it important? Well, I want to ask you something here today, my friends. Do you feel strong? I bet there's a lot of times you don't. There's a lot of times I don't. I don't have what I need today, God. I say that to God all the time when we talk in the mornings. I'm not sure I have what I need today. I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation. I don't know how I'm going to have this conversation. I don't know how I'm going to address this situation in my own life or in the lives of other people that I am helping. By faith we are made strong. Now, not all Christ followers always experience incredible victory. Not every battle ends the way that we want it to. Next week, Tim is going to finish this chapter for us, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But faith takes the risk. 
and expresses with complete conviction that God will do His will. That God will accomplish His plan. And these heroes of faith trusted God, joined Him in what He was doing, and through, and through Him they conquered. Now we have one desire here at Mossbrook Church. We have one desire, and that is that everything, everything that happens, the preaching, the kids' ministry, the teen stuff that happens at Connect, small groups, fellowship, word of life camps, firewood, breakfast ministry, food boxes, all of it causes each one of us to cultivate such a deep and satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ that we will rest in Him, that we will trust in Him, that we will continue to live by faith no matter what happens. Because life will kick you in the teeth. And we need to develop the kind of relationship with God that causes us to believe with complete and utter conviction and faith that nothing that the world has to offer us is better than what God has for us. Okay. Now it's time for a question. What impossible thing is happening in your life today? What's your Red Sea? What's your Jericho? Your Goliath? Your lion? I can't do this. It's too much. It's overwhelming. It's impossible. The question that this passage of Scripture gives to us is this. By faith, Will you join God in what He can do? What only He can do? Will you trust that He can accomplish His will and His purpose in you? And beyond what's happening in your life, will you join us? Will you join us together here as a church in what He's doing in the Oxford Hills? We have this mission we have this mission to see lost people become reproducing followers of Christ. That mission statement is in that partnership covenant that was on your chair when you came in this morning. And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, especially at this day and age that we live in. How can we make a difference? There's 15,000 people living in South Paris, Norway, and Oxford. That doesn't even count all the rest of our area. How are we going to make a difference? By faith, we believe that God can and will work through us. That He will save people. And together, as we cultivate a passion for God to trust Him no matter what, that we can and will pursue this mission together. That's our desire. God promised to build His church. Matthew 16, 
I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is going to build this. See this church right here? God is going to build this church. The church in the Oxford Hills, there are other churches in this community that preach the gospel still. The other churches in our state, and God will build His church, that is His promise. No matter how impossible it may seem, no matter how unlikely, could a group of slaves defeat the most powerful army in the world? Of course not. Could a ragtag bunch defeat a city that had walls 30 feet thick? Could 300 soldiers defeat 100,000? Could a 15-year-old beat a giant? Could an elderly guy fight off a whole cage full of hungry lions? No, of course not. That's ridiculous. It's impossible. But guess what? Those things happened. They happened because God can do the impossible. God will do the impossible. He can do it in your life. He can do it in this church. He is inviting you to be a part of it by faith. And I am inviting you to be a part of this, to join us, and to prayerfully consider being a partner here at Mossbrook Church. Tim alluded to it earlier in the announcement video, and, and we have talked about it in the past couple of weeks and handed some of these out this morning. There was a sitting on your seat a copy of our Partnership Covenant. And you see here that there are really four tenets of it, mission, teamwork, mutual care, and service. And these are the commitments that we make together. Now, I, I will say that if you're a guest with us here this morning, if you just came here for the first time today, you don't know what we're talking about, that's okay. We're not expecting you to, to grab one of these and sign it and fill it out. But if you know that Moss Brook is your home and this is where you want to be to worship with us and to serve with us, then we invite you to be a part of this with us and to prayerfully consider it. Fill it out, sign it, drop it in one of the buckets at the back on your way out. You can see that there's a handy little tear-off section here where you can fill out your name and your contact information. We don't we invite everyone to do this that calls Moss Brook their home. We don't want you to do it unthinkingly. There is no pressure to do that. But if you want to be a part of what God is doing here over the next year, then we invite you to. If you're not ready, you want to think about it, you have questions, take that with you. There'll be more of them available in the coming weeks. It's not a deadline that before you leave today, it has to be filled out and signed. But we're going to do that together here this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite you to watch a video with us. I want you to just watch and think about what's going to be on the screen for a few moments, and then the band is going to share a song with us, and we'll come back and close in just a moment. Thirteen letters, three words, one sentence, and I hope you never forget it. I hope you always remember these 13 letters, these three words, and this one complete sentence. Jesus is better. He's better than any passing dream you might be chasing after. He's better than any worldly ambition that may have captured your devotion. He's better than anything that could distract you from doing what you were created to do. 
He's better than money, cars, clothes, entertainment, achievement, and popularity. He's better than anything this world can offer you. Jesus is better. He's better than any person that has ever walked this earth. He's wiser than Gandhi and smarter than Einstein. He's more eloquent than Shakespeare and more creative than Mozart. He's more powerful than Napoleon and more compassionate than Mother Teresa. There's never been anyone like him, nor will there ever be. Not even close. Jesus is better. The Bible says he's better than Adam, better than Abraham, better than Moses, David, and Mary. He's better than the angels, better than the demons, better than any prophet, priest, or saint. From beginning to end, this book has one beautiful story and one unified theme. The Bible is clear. Jesus is better. But there will be times when it's hard to believe. Times when it doesn't feel like Jesus is better. The world will reject you, your flesh will fight you, and the devil will lie to you. Storms will come. You're going to face disappointment, deception, betrayal, and rejection. You're going to feel tired, empty, brokenhearted, scared, and alone. But don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. Jesus is better. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Prince of peace and the light of the world. He's the friend of sinners and the enemy of Satan. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is better. And if you really truly believe it, it's gonna cost you. You're gonna help the poor, defend the powerless, swallow your pride and love your enemies. You're gonna study the scriptures when you'd rather scroll your phone. You're gonna pray when you'd rather sleep. You're gonna serve when you'd rather be served. And you're gonna speak up when you'd rather be silent. But when it's all said and done, you won't regret it. You'll say it was worth it. Jesus is better. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. In other words, Jesus is better. Thirteen letters, three words, one sentence, and no question about it. Jesus is better. I'll sing this prayer out together this morning. And take my life. Faith takes God at its word, it takes courage. Sometimes it takes risk, but when we involve ourselves in what God is doing, we know that there will be success because he will accomplish his purpose always. My desire is that we would walk into this next season together as a body because all those things that go on in our lives require each other. We can't do it alone. By faith in God and with the help of our community together. We do what God has asked us to do. We invite you to be a part of that with us. If you've filled out that covenant and you're ready to, to hand it in today, there are baskets at the back here that you can drop them in or you can hand them to one of us as well if you don't see the baskets. I'll be up here if you have questions about baptism or partnership or what it means to trust Christ and walk with Him. I'd love to talk with you. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have had to be here together as your people, followers of Jesus Christ. We are asking this morning that you administer your Holy Spirit and your strength and comfort and grace to every individual person here. Lord, you know each heart. 
You know the things that are happening. You know the Red Seas and the Jerichos and the Goliaths far better than we do. I pray that we would as individuals have faith that you can do the impossible, that you will guide us. And Father, would you do that as a church as we move out into this next year? Please do your work through us, Lord. No glory to us, all glory to you, all recognition to the name of Jesus Christ. That's our desire. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for coming, folks. I hope you have a great week.